have your Bibles, I would ask that you get those out. We are journeying through several psalms of the season for our Advent and Christmas series, and today we land in Psalm 80. So I'm going to let you open your Bibles to Psalm 80. That song that Glenn played on the trombone was the one that uh, a few weeks ago, I put a, a poll up on Facebook about favorite Christmas songs, and many of you, many, many of you responded. <laughs> Not quite in such an overwhelming way like that, but um, our favorite song as a congregation of all who voted was "Oh Holy Night." And it wasn't, it wasn't close. And so right after that, uh, Glenn came to me and, and said, hey, I'd, I can play that song. I'm like, yes, let's do it. That would be fantastic. So thank you, Glenn. Uh, and then tomorrow night when we gather for our Christmas Eve's Eve service, we will sing through that song. And so I'm looking, f- I'm looking forward to that. I, I love the songs of the season. And each week, I'm trying to uh, listen maybe a little bit more closely to the lyrics of of our Christmas songs. And as I've been doing so, I've noticed some underlying themes um, that talk about things we think about, things we desire, maybe things that we long for, um, that get expressed through our music. If you listen to our music, you, you learn a lot about what we care about and what we pay attention to. And, and this week, I was listening to the songs, and I, I noticed that there were a lot of references to light, things that glisten. Snow is glistening. Um, all is merry and bright. Uh, talking about candles glowing, stars shining in the night. If you like the Christmas song, and we sing about tiny tots with their eyes all aglow. Very good. You got the first question right. Then we have Rudolph the red nosed reindeer, had a very shiny nose. And if you ever saw it, you can say it. Hey, you're getting four weeks in, and finally we're getting it. Yes. And then have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your hearts be what? Light. From now on, all our troubles will be out of sight. What I noticed was many of the references to light in our songs talk about light chasing away the darkness. Have we heard that anywhere before? It's in your book, isn't it? The light has this ability to chase away the darkness. And, and lots of the songs talk about the troubled places that we find ourselves, the, the, maybe the darknesses that we experience. And light seems to be not always the solution, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just what changes our face, changes our countenance, lifts our spirits a little bit. There's a, a band that's out there uh, called Coldplay, and they put together this Christmas song, oh, a, th- a few years ago. It's called Christmas Lights. And it expresses this thought very well. Uh, Christmas night, another fight. Tears required a flood. 
I got all kinds of poison in, poison in my blood. I took my feet to Oxford Street, trying to right a wrong, just walk away. Those windows say, but I can't believe she's gone. Up above, candles on air flicker. Oh, they flicker and they float, but I'm up here holding on to all those chandeliers of hope. Those Christmas lights light up the street, down where the sea and the city meet. May all your troubles soon be gone. Oh, Christmas lights keep shining out. There's this theme throughout the whole song that there's trouble that the, that the author finds himself because a relationship dies. And in the end, it's the Christmas lights that sort of change his outlook, provides him at least a beacon of hope for the moment. The, the psalm that I want to read for you this morning is Psalm 80. We're going to read part of it. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and then I'm going to skip down and read the last three verses. And if you're able, I'd ask that you would stand with me as I read. When I'm done reading, you, you're going to ask the question, why is this a psalm for Christmas? And that's okay. It's a good question to ask. This is, this is the psalm. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? Have you fed, you have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, the question lingers. Why, why would this be the psalm on what many people say is or call Christmas Sunday? That doesn't sound too Christmassy to me. There's no, there's no baby Jesus. There's no manger. There's no star in the sky. All those things that we maybe associate with the telling of the Christmas story. But we have said all along, not just in this series, but for a while now, that the Psalms, maybe more than any other book in the Bible, accurately describe the full breadth of human emotion. Hate, love, anger, kindness, you name it. Joy, grief, it's all there in the book of Psalms. 
and we can lay it before God. The, the Psalms give us permission to talk to God like this, to ask him questions. He's, you know, he's big enough to handle all of our cares and concerns, our problem, our anger, our despair, our grief, our joy, all of it happens within what God can handle. There's three different, there's like three categories that you could put psalms in, and you can, you could, there's 150 psalms, and it's not an equal distribution, but there's like three main categories, and so there, there's one category of psalms that's kind of like a, there's psalms like you're standing on a rock, you know, a firm foundation, um, you know, the, the author's sometimes will talk about ways that they have escaped the pit and how they have planted their feet firmly on solid ground. Um, there's, uh, in these, these uh, solid rock psalms, it's, it's kind of like a, a sigh of relief. Whew, I made it through that, and look where we have been. And I, God is my rock. He is my firm foundation. There is an exuberance to them. Then there's another, um, there's another segment of song, psalms that I, I kind of classify as mountaintop psalms. And, and these were written to take a long look back over the journey. You know, if you, if you go for a hike up in the mountains, there's sometimes where you might be in the cover of trees, and, and you know you're going up, but you can't really see your, your path, like where you've been. And every so often, there, there might be a little clearing in the trees, and, and you get to a point, and you've, been, you've gone several miles or several hours, and you've been kind of making your way up, and you, you, there's a clearing, and, and you look back, and you can kind of see the trajectory of your path. You're like, wow, I've come through a whole lot to get to this particular point. And you know all of the bumps and the bruises and the, the pain that you may have experienced in your muscles of, of going up, but you get to this opening, this clearing, and you have this, wow, this is just absolutely beautiful. No wonder I feel a little bit tired. No wonder it's a snack break time because look at all of the journey that we have been on. There's some of these mountaintop psalms and you have this exuberance and this, this look, looking back. And there's measures of uh, um, passion is replaced with the depth. There is the allowed emotion that is replaced by this quiet confidence that you know that God has been with you through all of it. But then there's, a, there's another segment, and it's about a third of the Psalms that you put in the category of lament, sort of this groaning before God. The songs that remind us that life is, is difficult, life is full of people who try and get the best of us and tear us down. They, these psalms, they're honest before God. They, they ask the question, God, are you even there? God, 
Do you see what's going on down here? God, are you listening? The, they express that raw emotion of doubt and question and fear, all of those sorts of things. I think these psalms sort of capture the moment with a still shot, like a, sn a snapshot picture. And, and these snapshots are taken when we feel like we're at our lowest. So you take that snapshot and then, and then you write something about it and you, and you lift it up to God. That's what these psalms are like. Songs of lament, they're sometimes angry and vengeful. They have this abandoned feeling to them, like evil is winning. These aren't what you would put in the category of happy songs, like we sung on Pink Candle Sunday last week. These are the ones at the lowest point of being in the trench. And Psalm 80 is one of those. What we just read fits into this last category, and it was a psalm that was likely written after uh, 722 B.C. when the Assyrians came in and they just decimated the northern kingdom of Israel. And so the people are in disarray, and it's probably a it's probably a psalm that was written somewhere between 722 and 586 when, when the Babylonians came in and destroyed the southern kingdom, Judah. And it's probably written by maybe some people who are in Judah and they're looking at what has happened to, to Israel, or it's maybe it's written by a, a people and this is a song that they sang while the people are in the middle of it, like, God, where are you right now? And the people who sing this song, they recognize that they are stuck, they recognize that they're helpless, they recognize that they are living in darkness, that they're, they're suffering the consequences of their own actions, they're suffering the consequences of their own sin, but they believe that God is responsible for all of it. They say, this is your fault, God, you did this. Did you hear that in the words that we read just a minute ago? You have fed us with the bread of tears. I mean, it, I mean that's, that's deep anguish and sorrow right there. You're angry at us. You're even angry at our prayers. You, you make us the laughing stock of the nations. Why, why are we the punchline to everybody's joke right now? How long, God? How long are you going to let this go on? Where, where are you, God? Do you see what's happening in my life right now? You don't have to raise your hand, but you ever feel like that? Is that ever a question that you want to ask? It's in our book. Which must mean that it's, it's okay to talk to God like this. God can handle your grief. He can handle your despair. He can handle your lament because he does care and he does listen and he does respond. See, the psalm laments the, the seeming absence of God in the world and it, it begs him to literally, the psalm says, wake up, God, wake up. 
You're falling asleep on the job. Wake up and come back. There's so much negative and uh, disaster that is going on in this people group at the time that they can't, they can't sense God's presence and they don't see any signs of God being with them at all. And it seems like God is distant and inactive and far off and aloof. He's somewhere up in heaven, but he certainly forgot about us. And so they let out the raw emotion of all the hurt and the anger and the grief. And when, the, when injustice seems like it's prevailing all around us, God's people express that in the psalm like this, and we call it lament. And a side point to all of this, I think, is that our worship, what we do in this place, it's way too important to pretend that God is some, in some far-off place, that he's aloof, that he doesn't care when, when we look around the world and, and all is not right, we need not pretend. We need psalms like this. We need, we need to hear this. We need to read psalms like this in the context of our worship because sometimes I think we struggle with the pressure that we have to put on this happy face facade every time we walk into this place. And so I think what happens sometimes is we tend to suppress these sorts of emotions and, and we suppress our hurts and we pack it all in and we pack in all of the negative feelings away and we, we cover them over with our Sunday best and we try not to think about them while we're here. Folks, this is the best place to think about them. Because we need to express this sort of language before God because he's the only one who can come in and begin to heal those broken places. It's okay to be honest before God. It's okay to express your disillusions with life, your disillusions with God. He's big enough to handle it. And through all of that, you don't lose the, the element, the hint of hope that even this psalm of lament had. And so we hold out this hope for a deepened faith on the other side of our brokenness. People are, people are living through some dark, tough times. They, they were having a social, they were having a political, they were having a spiritual, they were having an, an emotional power outage. All the lights went off. I think that every one of us has been through a power outage where, for whatever reason, you're sitting at home, maybe you're cooking, maybe you're watching TV, maybe you're sitting there in the glow of your Christmas lights, and all of a sudden, everything goes dark, right? Now, it may be okay for a few minutes, kind of fun, get the candles out, find your flashlights, kind of hunker down, and okay, we can do this, but what, after like three minutes, we're like, okay, we're, uh, we're people of the modern convenience, and we like, we like our lights on, we like our technology, we like all of those sorts of things, and so it gets a little frustrating if it goes on for too long, and then we start to worry about food in the freezer, and, and you know, oh my goodness, our well's not going to work, and I don't have any water, and, you know, we just start going through all of those things, like, how long is this going to last? There's power outages, and the lights go out, but that's a great metaphor. We have power outages in our life, spiritual power outages emotional 
power outages, social power outages, political power outages, where everything just seems to go dark. And when those things happen, it plunges us into times of darkness and confusion. All you got to do is click on the news these days, and it just seems like there's this dark, clouded front that just, it seems to be looming over us. A lot of discord, nobody can talk with each other, we just talk at each other. Usually it's sort of in an angry kind of a way. We look around at maybe the disintegration of the moral fabric of, of our society, and that just seems like a, a weight because nobody seems to have any good ideas about what to do about it. I mean, personal autonomy and, and the insistence upon that is just like this huge cloud. It's ravaging our society, and it, it's stuff that we travel through every day. It's like, we're having, it's like we're living through a power outage, and it's just building and hovering. It's like this presence that is there. Then those are things that are going on in society, but there's, there's personal power outages that we have too. Maybe something changes in a relationship. Maybe, maybe something happens at work or at school or you, you just are struggling with something and it seems like the lights just go out and plunges us into times of, of this darkness. And all of these things sort of, sort of gather up. And we ask the question, of the psalm, like the psalmist, where are you, God? I can't, I can't see you. The darkness seems to be winning right now. I can't see through all the fog that has descended upon me, and I have no energy, I have no strength to carry on. I don't see the other side to this. Where are you? Where are you, God? Will you come and make it right? Now would be a good time. Is that your prayer? I've prayed that prayer. Sometimes the tendency is we just, we just hunker down. Okay, I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to wait it out. And I'm going to, you know, we can, we can take that approach or we could lean into the psalm. We could lean into God. Say, on my own, God, I'm nothing, God. I'm nothing without you. I have nothing for all of the darkness that I experience. You are it. And we can lean into these words of the psalmist. And it's okay to confess the broken places. It's okay to confess and to cry out that we have failed, that we have sinned. It's okay to confess and cry out that we live in a world that's not functioning as, as God had designed, that, that left to our own devices, we're going to wander off on our own, and, and like sheep, we're going to find ourselves far away from God, lost and, and astray. And the psalm gets at all of this. But through it, notice there's this underlying theme of hope. We tried on our own, God. We came up a little bit short. 
and we need you. That's, that's the psalm. Three times, verse 3, verse 7, verse 19, the psalm says, Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Three times that refrain is repeated. The people ask God to function like a shepherd. Shepherd, come and lead us, protect us, provide for us. A shepherd is one who will save them from their, from their dangers and darknesses of the world. Restore us, God. Save us. We can't do it on our own. We recognize that. And they're longing for the shepherd. You know, in the book of Psalms, there are only two Psalms that talk about God as shepherd. It's this Psalm right here, and maybe the, one of the most famous passages in the Bible in Psalm 23. We have this image that comes up where God acts as a shepherd. And if God is the shepherd, what does that mean? We're the sheep. Which isn't really flattering of a picture. The sheep aren't the brightest of, the, of all of creation. Um, sheep have this tendency to nibble themselves lost. They're out in the pasture and they're nibbling on grass and they're dependent on their shepherd to keep them sort of gathered because if I'm a sheep and this tuft of grass here looks really good, I'm going to nibble on it for a while, but if I look up at all and I see, oh, there's another tuft of grass over here, I'm just going to, I don't know if that's how a sheep moves, but I'm going to find this little tuft of grass right here. And I'm going to nibble on it for a while. And then I'm going to look up. And you know, my flock is over here. And they're all nibbling that way. But right in front of my eyes, this is the tuft of grass right here. But then I look up and, oh, there's another tuft over here. The flock is going that way. The shepherd is calling out to the sheep over there. And I'm really just fascinated by this tuft of grass. And then before you know it, there's one over here. And I, I waddle over here. And, and before you know it, I'm lost. And the shepherd is calling. And the rest of the sheep hear his voice and are going after him. But right here, I'm lost and alone. And that's when I look up. And I recognize all of the power outages and the darkness that's sort of around me, and it scares me a little bit, and then I don't know what to do, and then I cry out to God. This lament is, is the cry of a people who are functioning like sheep who have nibbled themselves away from the presence of God. They, they, can't, they can't hear the voice of God anymore because they sense that everything is too thick around them. And when they do finally cry out, hey, we, we're lost. We, we have no idea where you are. It doesn't seem like you're present, God. And so they cry out. Act. Come and be our shepherd. Come and find us. Come and restore us. Shine your face on us so that we may be saved. I love the light imagery that comes out in this psalm. 
people on call on God to in verse one to shine forth, or Yaffa is the is the Hebrew word there, which means to shine beams of light or to to show your radiant glory is another way that you could interpret that word there. And in verse three and verse uh, verse three and seven and nineteen, it calls for God to let your face shine on us. Another way that you could say this, and it would be just as appropriate, it would be God smile on us. We need to see the glow of your countenance. Illuminate us with your presence, Lord. We need you to become light for us because on our own, we're in a power outage. There is no light for us outside of any light that you would bring. I was praying over this text this week. I'm, I'm an image-driven person, if you can't tell. Um, pictures really resonate with me. And oftentimes, when I'm praying and reading and thinking about preaching texts like this, God will God will gift me with an image. And he gifted me with maybe one of the, what I think is one of the cooler images that he's given me for a while. And it's the sermon title, Wind of Light. Now, when we talk about wind, we don't normally talk about light. But we can imagine in our minds what wind does. It's just this blustery, and it blows things all around. In the fall, when the leaves are coming down, you, you can see the wind sort of move sideways. If you go over to the coast, and you're watching the, the waves crash on the store in a good storm, sometimes you can see the mist and the foam come off of the, the crest of those waves, and you can see the wind move sideways. If you live in a place where there's snow, there's a thing called a blizzard, and what the blizzard is is snow moving sideways like this. Sometimes in a blizzard, it seems like the snow is coming up and down and swirling and all around, but you see the wind, right? When Peter was walking on the water, when he was distracted and he was filled with doubt, what did it say? He could see the wind. So we understand the movement of wind. But the picture that God gave me was this image of a wind of light. Now, in the image, in my image, it was on the, the left side. In all of the things that we've been talking about, grief, hate, anger, lostness, our brokenness, the recognition of our sin, the political climate, the social climate, all of those things that we have mentioned and the things that came to mind while I was talking that I didn't have to speak out loud, but your mind's filled in the blank, all of those things that fill in that cloud of darkness, that presence, was on one side. And so there's these deep tones of, of black and dark grays, and navy blues, and really deep purples that are all mixed together, and just hovering presence. And there's times in our life that we feel like we're in the middle of that blob. That's on one side. 
And then from the right side of the image, there were some really distinct, as bright white as you can imagine, sharp lines that just penetrated the middle of this blob. And there were a bunch of them. And, and not only were there these straight lines of light, but they were billowing. Like there was a whiteness, a brightness of a cloud that was starting to consume and push away and blow back the darkness. God's face wasn't in the image, but I could clearly sense that this wind of light was the wind of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God himself as he shined his face upon us. The light of God is more than enough to blow away any darkness that we might experience. That's what the psalm is telling us. This huge blackness was being overpowered. It was being chased away by these radiant beams of light, this fierce windstorm that was attacking this, except it was the wind of light. A few years back, a guy came stumbling, I think literally, through those front doors. It was, I don't know, a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And he's just kind of hunched over. His, his eyes were clouded. Uh, you could tell that the darkness that we described was his existence. Talked to him for quite a while. Had some crime in his past. Uh, lots of addictions. Broken, lost, looking for any help that he could find. He didn't even know what kind of help to ask for. Somehow he found his way in the front door. I just want to tell you that the wind of light blowing from God but through this congregation helped change this man's life. Not, not immediately, because leaving a, a life that's plagued by the darknesses of this world is a process. But step by step, Day by day, every time he came in, I, I could see that his countenance was clearing just a little bit. That instead of his focus being down and plagued by this darkness, he, he was seeing the beams of light getting through to him. And he prayed in my office to receive Christ. And from that moment, he had just a little bit more upbeat step, a little bit of joy. We still hear from him time and again, but the journey 
that he has been on is one of somebody who is experiencing personally how the wind of light will change you. It's a transforming light. When, when, when we accept Christ, he comes in and he begins to do a work in us. Starts to change our habits, our thoughts, all of these sorts of things. We begin this transformation. I imagine that the shepherds, since it's Christmas Sunday, let me tell you one Christmas story. The shepherds were out in the field, and they were, they were tending their flocks. And the weight of the world was pressing in all around them. I mean, they didn't have, you know, like, high-level sorts of jobs. They're, they're tending to the flocks out in the field. So lower echelon, not really looked up to characters. So they were probably carrying that weight around the climate in the country wasn't all that spectacular at the time. And so there they are uh, outside, and, the, and they're just doing their job. And then all of a sudden, there's an angel. And then shortly after that, there's a whole heavenly host of angels, and they're singing. Can you imagine the intensity and the brightness of that light? as those angels sang the announcement that God had seen what's going on, that God had heard the cries, that, that God was about to do something new, about to do something huge, and he was ready to blow his wind of light into the people, in the person of Jesus, who was being born that very night. And the the shepherds are out there, and they're like, wow, we better go check this out. And they do, because they're looking for anything to hope in. They're, they've been raised among a people who have been waiting for God to come and act for centuries. Could this be the time? And as they go, I can, I can just imagine the scene as they, they lean over that manger, that feeding trough. And the prayer that they had been praying, restore us, O oh God. Make your face shine on us so that we may be saved as they lean over that manger, God smiles on them in the person of Jesus. And that warm glow of his countenance illuminates their hearts. The, the wind of light from God shows up in a very unsuspecting way in the person of Jesus. And they're hunched over and they're leaned in. And all of their darkness is chased away in that moment as they look at this child. I don't know, where do, you, where do you need to experience this wind 
of light. What places in your life do you need to just lean over that manger and have the smile of God rest on you these days? It's not just a nice thought. It's a, it's a biblical promise. It's not just some pie-in-the-sky request. It comes straight out of Scripture. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Isaiah 9-2, the people were walking in darkness. They have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. And in the introduction to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Shine your face on us, God. Smile upon us. That's our prayer. That's our cry. That's our longing. Because this is what we know. This is what we declare as the only thing that will restore us and will save us. Charles Wesley, he wrote one of the songs we sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I think he got it right when he said, Light and life to all he brings. He was writing about the joy that we find that comes from God and sinners being reconciled to one another. See, the underlying theme of this psalm is restoration for God's people. And it's really... It's really the, at the heart, it's really the central message of the entire Bible. It's a message that is both, it's both simple and beautiful. See, we have fallen into sin as people, which brings ruin and destruction, which we've probably sensed in our own way. But God, through Jesus, acts with costly grace to restore us. The word restore, it's such a good word. It's such a hope-filled word, isn't it? To be restored. Our sin has brought us to brokenness. To us, to those around us, we can see it all over the place, but God, by His grace and by His power, restores broken things. People of God said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand? I want to